kind of an admission to make, not a confession, an admission to make. I'm going to admit that uh, Starla's a better driver than I am. Uh, now, I know most guys wouldn't do that, but I, there might be some categories, though, that I might win in. But overall, you know, she'll judge by the fact that I've had more wrecks and I've had more tickets. But I mean, who's, who's counting those? You know, I, I, can, I think I can parallel park better and I think I can get into tight spaces better. And so I, overall, I'll admit she's a better driver, but I'm also, I'm a fearless driver. And so that's part of my problem. Some might call that reckless, but I'm also a distracted driver and a bored driver. And so I just kind of get a little uh, uh, distracted sometimes. But you know what's worse than being a bad driver? Being a passenger. I hate being a passenger. And here's the reason I hate being a passenger. The reason I bring this whole thing up is because I'm not in control. You have no control over the circumstances. And I got to give it to Starla. I mean, I'm driving most of the time. You know, I'm always driving. So that's more the reason why I have more wrecks. Uh, but she's over here in the passenger side. She's reading a book. She's on her phone. She's doing her nails. She's praying in tongues. I don't know what she's doing. She's, you know, but she's not yelling at me. She's just going with it, you know, and I'm running up on cars. And I, it's a prefrontal lobe problem, you know, depth perception. But uh, she's just, I got to give it to her. She can do that. I can't do that. But most of us as humans have this instinctive nature to want to be in control. And the worst feeling in the world is to not have control. And when we can't control something, we begin to worry. We begin to obsess over it. Uh, the further the space is between our ability to control things and the reality of where we are is that space that we, we tend to fill with worry and anxiety. But that space between our ability to control and the reality of where we are, that space is where we build spiritual maturity. That's where we learn to grow up. That's when you build spiritual muscles. We started this series a few weeks ago called Growing Pains, how to grow from infancy to maturity in our faith. And one of the ways that we grow from infancy to maturity is through patience. Now, nobody likes to talk about patience. We like to ignore that topic because you know that if you, if you actually pray for more patience, God might give you a circumstance to have to exercise patience, and nobody wants that. So we never go to God and say, Lord, give me more patience because you know it's gonna, he's going to give you a reason to exercise patience. But uh, the fact is you have to have patience in order to grow. If you've ever been on a road trip, a family road trip, you go on the road trip and you haven't hardly left town before the kids are asking the question, are we there yet? Are we? It's like, we just left town. We're going to be traveling for three days. But maturity comes when we learn to wait on God. We don't rush ahead. We don't lag behind. And Peter's going to give us some instruction here on how we deal with this waiting on God. When you're in God's waiting room and you haven't got the answer yet, God hasn't come through yet, you haven't seen the fulfillment yet. So if you're in a place right now where you, you might consider yourself in God's waiting room, you've asked God for something, but you haven't seen the answer yet. You've got a word for something, but you haven't seen the fulfillment yet. I'm glad you're here because I believe God is going to give us some direction. And the truth is, we need to all understand that God is working 
as much in the waiting as he is in the fulfillment. Whenever the answer shows up, he's working right now. You just may not be able to see it. And hopefully we can become convinced of that. Second Peter chapter three. We've been working through this book of the Bible, Second Peter. Here we are in chapter three, verse number one. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where's this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So here's the first thing that I think Peter is telling us that we need to understand when we're in God's waiting room, waiting on God is number one, when you're waiting on God, the skeptics will mock. They're going to come. Now, I'll admit I hate waiting. I hate waiting rooms, especially doctor's waiting rooms. You go into the doctor's waiting room, you know, and you're, you're picking up a magazine. It's like, whoa, oh, Brad and Jennifer broke up. I didn't even know they were back together. Oh, oh, this is a 2002 magazine. You know, you got these old magazines. I can't they update the magazines. And you're, and you're in there in the waiting room and, and somebody else starts coughing and you're thinking, hey, I got my own problems. I don't need yours as well. It's just waiting rooms. I just don't like them. I can get impatient, but I can also get impatient with God. I get impatient with him when things just don't come through because sometimes God spoils us. You know, we pray and he answers like Domino's pizza in 30 minutes or less. And you start thinking that's the norm. But then you pray and nothing happens and you start wondering, God, have you forgotten about me? I mean, do, do, do you even know that I'm, I'm asking something of you right now? And so we get a little faint of heart. We start losing heart. But there are moments like this when we are in the waiting room that the skeptics come out, whether it's the skeptics that you live with. How many of you live with some skeptics? Okay. Some of you say, I don't know if I should raise my hand. They're sitting next to me right now. Uh, the fact is, some of us live with some skeptics, and some of us have a skeptic inside of us that just rises up every now and then that you got to continue to squash. Well, the fact is, the skeptic or the scoffer, that's the one who sees you in God's waiting room and says, hey, where's this coming that God promised? Where's this prayer that God promised? promise to answer? Where's this uh, you know, promise that, that you've been waiting on? God doesn't hear you. God doesn't care about you. God's not listening to you. And that skeptic just starts repeating this over and over and over in your mind. And that's when you pray, Lord, give me strength. Because, I mean, give me patience because if you give me strength, I'm going to need some bail money to get me out of jail. You know, the, the wise person, the wise person is the person that in your waiting room, when you're in God's waiting room, Rather than getting frustrated, you look back into your past and you can see God's hand at work in your life. Wisdom says God's been there in the past. And if he's been there in the past, then I can count on him in the future. That's what wisdom does. You know what true patience is? True patience is not just refraining from beating somebody up because they annoyed you. Okay, that's not patience. Patience is waiting without worrying. Waiting without worrying. That's when we know we're growing spiritually, when we can wait without worrying. When you can look at your circumstances and say, hey, God, just being honest with you, I don't see it. 
but I trust you. I don't see the answer, but I trust you. I don't see how you're going to do it, but I trust you. I mean, everybody else is getting their prayers answered, but uh, I trust you. That's when you know you're growing in the Lord. So can somebody say amen? Okay, look at verse number five, 2 Peter 3, 5. It says, but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So God was working at creation. Verse six, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, if you notice there, Peter points out that through the word of the Lord, heavens and earth were created. So God was working in the beginning, right? Then it says, and then by the same word, the earth were destroyed by the water. God was working then. May not be the type of work that you're looking for, but he was working. He was operating. He was moving. And then it said, by the same word, the earth is reserved for judgment, for the judgment day where the earth will be destroyed by fire. He's working in the future. He was working at the destruction, the flood. He was working at creation. So what Peter shows us here is that God was working in the beginning, working in the end. Then we have to trust that he's working in between as well. He's working right now. We've got the promises of him in the past and the future. We've got to know that he's working right now. And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. God has been operating on our behalf constantly, consistently, and we have to believe that. In fact, John 5, 17 says this, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I've been working. So God the Father and God the Son both working on our behalf. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. The problem is when we don't see it and all we see is the problems, all we see are the unanswered prayers, all we see are the bills that haven't been paid, all we see is the trial that hasn't ended, and then what that drives some of us to do is to take matters into our own hands. So we take those matters in our own hands, and then when something happens, we think, oh, I'm the one who fixed this problem. It's kind of like dads, dads or moms too, but uh, I'm speaking from my experience. Dads, granddad, you, uh, you're helping your kids with a, build a Lego set, you know, and you get down, and it's, it's, it's going to be a, a finished product, whether it's a car or a truck or a dinosaur or a house or something, and you've got the instructions and the 4,000 pieces, and, and you start putting it together, and it doesn't take long until the kid is completely distracted, goes to get something to drink, goes to the bathroom, goes to get something to eat, shows back up in about an hour. You pretty much got this thing finished. He'll put the final sticker on and pick it up and say, hey, mom, look what I did. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. We're kind of like that with God. We take matters into our own hands and we think, oh, look what I did. When it was God that was working the whole time and he used our little bit of effort for some effectiveness, but we've got to believe that God is still working on our behalf and that's what keeps us from giving up. So my hope today is that every one of us would walk out of here, whether we see God's hand at work or not, we would be convinced that he's working on our behalf and that would keep us from giving up when things get tough. Because Jesus even said, ask and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Wait, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Because he said, if anybody asks, seeks or knock, it's going to happen for you. 
So you just got to keep on keeping on. The idea is don't stop until God says stop. Because something happens when we persevere in prayer. And I know this is not what we usually are looking for when we go to God in prayer. But it's a good thing. You go to God in prayer and sometimes he does. He answers. and gives you exactly what you're asking for. Other times, you spend time in prayer, persevering in prayer, and you know what he does? God doesn't change his mind. You know what changes? You, me, I change. He starts working on my will, and he starts conforming it to align with his will. He starts working on my heart, and he starts aligning my heart to conform with his heart so that the will of God is done in my life. You see, now, no, no, we don't go to prayer and say, Lord, change me. That's usually our last resort. We always have the things we want God to change, and it's usually not us. But when we persevere in prayer, then God will get the glory. And when he changes our heart, our heart will align with his. Look at verse number 8, 2 Peter 3, 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves us so much that he's patient with us because he wants every single one of us to come to repentance, to come into a relationship with him. He wants your family to come into a relationship with him. So here's the third thing that Peter's saying is number one, or number three, when you're waiting on God, God has a perfect plan. God has a plan that he's already working on. You've just got to trust him. Peter kind of brilliantly gives this explanation here because he understands the cry of the human heart. When we look at the world, we look at the injustices of the world. We look at the times that uh, we get the bad breaks and things happen in our lives and we're asking, God, why haven't you done anything yet? So I want you to see something. Peter mentions in the earlier verses, he mentions that there's going to be a judgment day. He mentions that Jesus is going to come back. So when is Jesus coming back? How long do we have to hold on for? Well, the disciples even asked Jesus that. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, what are you going to do? In fact, look, Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and said, tell us, when will this happen? When will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So can I take just a moment here and just drop just a few thoughts in here for the signs of the times? When is Jesus coming back? What are we looking for? Well, here are some of the signs of the times, and these are the words of Jesus. He says, and I'm going to put up these things that we can be looking for, the signs. I'll put them in four categories. They all start with the letter D so we can remember them easier. But number one is deception. Because Matthew 24, 4 and 5 says, many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ. Many will come declaring I'm the Christ and they will deceive people. But deception comes in all forms. Deception comes in all different ways. It's not just false teachers in the church. But I believe that here in our culture today, we are believing, we are being deceived to believe that evil is good and good is evil. And it's amazing to me to see the acceptance of immoral behavior and the intolerance of righteousness that has taken hold in our country. Perfect example is just here in the last couple of weeks, uh, I think it was on July 4th, Starla and I went to see Sound of Freedom. 
a, a movie that is about uh, uh, a man named, named Tim Ballard who tried himself to uh, rescue some children out of sex slavery and sex trafficking and mind, the, the trafficking of minor. And it's a true story. It breaks your heart, punches you in the gut to see what's going on right here in our own country. And yet to listen to the media backlash over this movie like this is some big conspiracy theory, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Somebody should be outraged. This is something that every sane adult should get behind and say, we got to stop this. Everybody should. Now, I can't, obviously, I am have no impact on our secular media, but we as the church got to step up and say, we've got to do something about this. And I start thinking about the attitude of our, our, our world today, or especially just here in America, our country today, towards our children, where, where there's no outrage over the uh, abortions that are taking place and the children whose organs are being harvested or the, or the children that are being sucked into gender-affirming care with the collusion of our schools and our country to keep the parents out of the whole process. Are you kidding me? Those are our children. You can't subject children to that kind of stuff without parental authority. Drag queen story hours. Are you kidding me? You've seen the things that have been taking place with our children, and here's what, what it gets me. Here's the deception. You see all of this repulsive behavior towards our children, and I have to say, the people that are responsible for reporting, the people that are responsible for funding, the people that are responsible for stopping this have to be at best deceived. I have no other excuse. At best, they are deceived. At worst, they are pure evil to allow this kind of stuff to take place for our children, with our children, and nobody's doing anything to try to stop it. <laughs> Deceived. And here's what, here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about the morality of a society. He said, the test of the morality of a society is what it does for its children. And by that, America has failed the test. Secular culture has failed the test. They're throwing our kids away. And I, we only have responsibility over us, but I'm telling you, we are not going to do that. We're going to stand for children. We're going to pray for our children. We're going to protect our children. We're going to fight for our children. We're going to pass this test. So there's, there's deception, deception across our land. But the, the second word is this, disputes among nations. Jesus said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And I know we can say, well, there have been wars and rumors of wars forever. Yes, but here's the difference right now. There are nuclear capabilities now. And many nations have nuclear capabilities. And it's prophesied in Revelation that in the final war, a third of the population of earth will be wiped out. And how will that take place? through nuclear capabilities, weapons of mass destruction. And now many nations have that capability. It's just like who's going to be bold and brazen and evil enough to push the button. So yes, disputes among nations, it's another indicator that we are in the end times. 
There's another indicator, and that's devastation. Matthew 24, 7, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. And you could look at the, the food shortages and the increase of earthquakes and the famines across the land, the pestilence across the land, and you can see the uptick of all of this that just all of it says Jesus is coming back. Just last week in Vermont, historic floods. Uh, this morning, a news report said 19 states in America are on uh, heat alerts. And I think, of course, we were here in one of the hottest weeks on record in Texas just a couple of weeks ago. That made a lot of people not want to go to hell because if it's worse than that, a lot of people came to know Jesus. But listen, when you look at all this and you feel this heat and this crazy weather, you think, oh, don't you believe in global warming now? Oh, listen, I believe in global warming. But I believe in global cooling. I, I just don't believe that it's as man-made as we're being told. I think God has more to do, it, do with it than we do. And I don't believe that any of the efforts that are being proposed are going to make any difference. So what does that have to do with the Bible? It all points to the end times. There will be natural disasters. There will be unusual weather-related crisis. And these things must happen and will happen, and you can't stop it by driving an electric car. Listen, I don't have a problem with you having an electric car. You do you. That's fine. But electric cars aren't going to solve the problem. Solar power houses aren't going to solve the problem. You can wear sheepskin for all I care. That's not going to solve the problem. Jesus has been and will be always the answer to the problem. So yeah, we're going to see deception, disputes, Devastation, and here's the fourth word, deliverance into tribulation. Now look, Matthew 24, 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, what does that have to do with us today? The fact is we've seen the attitude towards Christianity completely shift and become so much more hostile today where Christians today, we are not protected or we are not embraced. We are not uh, celebrated. We are targeted in our country today. We're targeted by local businesses. You're targeted by media and entertainment. You're targeted by schools and college campuses. And it's only going to get worse. And I'll be looking more into that next week because that's where our scriptures take us on some of the signs of the second coming of Christ and how current events are marching us right there. But listen, Peter mentions this judgment day. And because there's a coming judgment day, you know what that means? That means there's an absolute right and there's an absolute wrong. Because if people are going to be judged, then there's got to be a right and wrong. But what it doesn't mean is there's an absolute fast or slow. Because fast or slow is always relative to your perspective. Kids that have absolutely no patience because of their limited life experience. How many of you had kids that have asked you, how, Mom and Daddy, how long till Christmas? Well, like 11 months and two weeks. Well, they have no concept. How many times do I have to sleep until then? Like, like 350? Now go to bed, please. You know, we, we want God to be fast and acting when it's to help us out. But boy, if it's to discipline us when we get out of line, go, go slow, be patient with me, Lord. You know my weaknesses. You know, we want God to be, there, there's no right or sorry, there's absolute right or wrong. There's no absolute fast or slow. But Peter's point here is that even though we might not like the timing, everything that's supposed to happen according to God's will is going to happen. And many of us, I mean, we've been praying for Jesus to come back, come back. But think about this. What if Jesus would have come back 10 years ago? 
How many of you have been saved in the last 10 years? Raise your hands. Come on, look around. You'd have missed out on it. You say, oh, I'd have, I'd have caught the second round. Mm, don't count on that. I'll catch the next bus. Yeah, don't be so sure of that. You make sure you're ready now. Thank God he's been slow. You know why he's been slow? Because he wants us all to come to repentance. He's giving us time. He's patient with us. Even though we've been punks most of the time, he's patient with us because he wants us to come to know him. Every single one of us have some thank God for unanswered prayer moments, right? Where we look back and we thank God he didn't answer that prayer. We all have that. The point is, God wasn't dragging his feet for no reason. He said no or he said wait because he had something better in store for you. You know, when your kids ask, are we there yet? You know what they're really asking? They're saying, I've, I've done everything I know to do. So what can I do in the meantime? I've played all the games I know to play. We've watched the movie and we've had the conversation. So what do I do in the meantime? They're not intentionally trying to irritate you or annoy you or drive you crazy. Well, what, what do I do in the meantime? In between the time of the promise and the time of the fulfillment. And that's really what most of us struggle with. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this time, this waiting room of God? I'm going to deal a little bit more with that next week as well, but I could just tell you right now, what do you do in the meantime? You keep standing. You keep trusting. You keep hoping. You keep praying. You keep helping. You keep serving. You keep giving. But by all means, you do not give up. We do not give up because we know that God's working things out together for our good. This is when we build those spiritual muscles. This is when we go from infancy to maturity. When we can stand and say, God, I don't see what you're doing, but I trust you. I don't see how you're going to work it out, but I trust you. I don't have a clue how this is going to end, but I trust you. It's not moving in the direction I would like it to go, but I trust you. That's what we do in the meantime. In fact, remember the story of Jesus whenever he was walking with his disciples and he walked by a fig tree that had no fruit. It's kind of a weird story. He curses the fig tree. And if you watch the story on The Chosen, it's great. I love the expressions of the disciples. They're like, what'd you curse that poor tree for? You know, there's kind of what did he do that for? He curses the tree. But what's odd is nothing happens. The tree doesn't change. But the next day, they're traveling down that same road and they pass the tree. And the disciples punch you. Whoa, look at that tree. It's withered now. The tree that he cursed, is it's withered now. What's the point? The point is sometimes... You have a word from God and you don't see anything happening. It doesn't mean that God's not working. I'd love to say, just come back tomorrow and you can be sure God will have that tree withered for you. Sometimes it doesn't happen by tomorrow. Sometimes it doesn't happen by next week. Sometimes it doesn't happen by next month. Sometimes you're in the waiting room and God's changing you. The fact is, and the promise is, 
God's working. He's got a perfect plan for all of us. And if we'll just keep trusting him, stay in step with him, keep holding on and don't give up. I promise you, he's gonna work his perfect plan in your life. It doesn't always, I'll tell you this, it doesn't always turn out exactly the way you hoped. Sometimes he changes our heart and aligns our dreams and our wishes and our desires to be exactly what his are. And that's when we find the perfect peace that passes all understanding. And we realize I was praying for the wrong thing the whole time. I had my hope based in something that I didn't need to. Sometimes it's going to come through exactly the way you prayed. The answer is that we keep trusting him no matter what. Stand to your feet with me. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would be honest with me right now and say, I feel like I'm in God's waiting room? It sucks, doesn't it? I wish I could tell you how it's all going to turn out. I don't know, but I know God does. And I know that he's never quit working on your behalf. He's never stopped. He hasn't taken a sabbatical. He is the Sabbath. He's not taking a rest. He's not taking a nap. He's not taking any break. No, he's still working on your behalf. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to resolve inside of yourself. Every single one of us that said, I'm in God's waiting room. I want you to get yourself to a place today where you can say, I may not like it, but God, I trust you that you're working it out. Starla and I had a doctor that we used to go see when we lived in Pasadena. He was great, but he had a principle, a principle, a method to his practice that was kind of unusual. He just took you first come, first serve. You didn't set appointments. You just showed up first thing in the morning, put your name on a list. Whoever got there, that's who he would see. And then it would start over. The list would start over after lunch. And you knew that if you went to see him, chances are you're going to have to wait for a while. And it was a little frustrating, but you knew it. But here's what made all the difference. He was a wonderful, caring doctor. And once you got in to see him, he made you feel so special. Because Dr. Boone would say, hey, Kendall, Starla, how's the church going? How are the kids? And he'd listen to us talk about our kids. He just wanted to know about you. And in just a few moments, you just felt like somebody cared. He wasn't just trying to diagnose a problem and here. He cared. And you walked out of there thinking, I'm so glad I waited because I saw somebody who cared cares about me. Thank you, Dr. Boone. He was great. And 
I believe that God treats us the same way. Whenever we're in his waiting room, sometimes we get frustrated, we get annoyed, get impatient, but I can promise you this, once you get in to see Dr. Jesus, you're gonna find he cares. He cares about you. And when you leave his office, when you leave your visit, you're gonna have that warm sensation of knowing he cares about me. It's gonna be like he's just wrapped his arms around you and said, I got you. I got you, you're not in this alone. And you're gonna be so glad you waited. Would you let Jesus just come into your life right now? Or let, would you come into his office and allow him to just love on you right now? You're gonna leave this place knowing that Jesus cares and the perfect plan that he has for you, he's working on right now. And if you'll stay in faith with him, you're gonna see that plan fulfilled in your life. Slip your hands up to him right now. And I want you to declare as Bear begins to sing, I want you just to declare in your own words, I may not see the answer yet, but I trust you and I'm gonna praise you while I'm in the waiting room. Come on, just tell him that right now. I may not see the answer yet, but I trust you and I'm gonna praise you while I'm in the waiting room. Come on, just begin to praise him. Praise Him while you're in the waiting room. Thank you, Lord, that you care about me. You haven't forgotten me. You haven't given up on me, so I'm not giving up on you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. Oh, I trust you, Lord. today all across this room that Lord you would just embrace each and every person that stands in this waiting room unsure of what tomorrow holds some unsure of what today holds but we're declaring our faith and our trust in you we're declaring that our confidence is in you that you're going to work all things together for good I believe it and I know that in the end, I'll have the peace of God that passes my ability to understand. But head still bowed all over this place. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've wandered away from your faith and you realize you're not where you need to be in Christ today. But you say, I don't want to leave here the same way I came. Jesus has been waiting on you. He's been waiting on you to say, come into my heart, be the Lord of my life. 
He's waiting on you today. All across this room, from the front to the back, left to the right, you say, Kendall, would you please include me in that prayer? I want to be right with Jesus today. I want to know that my sins are forgiven and that he's the Lord of my life. Include me in your closing prayer today. All across this room, you say, that's me. Won't you slip up your hand? Just slip up your hand. I want to know I'm praying for. Thank you, 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 yes, thank you. And many all over this room, thank you, brother, thank you, yes. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. We're going to pray the prayer and everybody's going to pray so no one prays alone. But those of you all over this room that lifted your hands, I want you to pray it from the depths of your soul. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and we believe it in our heart, believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, then we shall be saved. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Come into my heart. Wash away my sin and be the Lord of my life today and every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give him some praise now, will you?